And I'll just tell you, I ramble, so if there's any point at which you're just like, oh my god, dude, the point was like three <laughs> miles back there, like, please feel free to interrupt me. Um, but yeah, like, that's, that's, I tell people I never shut up, and they're like, wow, you were not kidding. Yeah. <laughs> Hi, and welcome to Slices, the Deep Dish Swift podcast. Deep Dish Swift is a supreme Swift developer conference being served in Chicago from April 30th to May 2nd. On this podcast, we'll be chatting with the organizers and speakers of the conference. We're Kaya Malin, and in this episode, we're chatting with Ellen Shapiro, who is an iOS developer and Android developer, and a serious speaker at a lot of conferences all over the world, and of course, a speaker at this, this year's Deep Dish Swift conference. Hi, Ellen. Welcome. Hi. Yeah, nice to, nice to see you guys. Uh, yeah, as you mentioned, I'm a, a, a frequent speaker, I think, <laughs> is the nice way of putting it. Uh, but yeah, I think I think the last place, I'm trying to remember the conference that I saw you at earlier, yeah, maybe so, late last year. Yeah, it was in Aberystwyth. Oh, yeah, IOSWK. Yes, yeah. yes. The, the first few times I heard the word Aberystwyth, I was like, I, I, the first few <laughs> times I saw it, I pronounced it Aberswyth. Yeah, I, I'm not sure yeah. if I said it right, but I thought if I say it with no, like, Aber- quick enough Aber- with confidence, is, oh. at least to my at least to my uh, American ears is uh, way closer than Aberystwyth. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, I did have to ask some people for direction while while trying to get to the right train terminal, and yeah. It, I did have to repeat myself a few times because I didn't really get what I was trying to say. But I yeah, got there at the end. It's it's definitely hard when you're in a place where like there's really specific pronunciations, and particularly if it's like a regional pronunciation. Yeah. And then somebody comes in and is like, uh, "We." Uh, so my wife and I, when we were living in the Netherlands, we lived in a town called Nijmegen, and uh, we definitely had a couple of uh, relatives who tried to get t- tickets to Nimgen. And uh, yeah, that did not work. They were people were like, "What on earth are you talking about?" <laughs> That's um, I didn't realize. Even I didn't know you've been living in the Netherlands. We should get into it. Um, so, yeah. first question is, where are you from, and where do you live? And I also want to hear about how, how you how you how yeah. you came to be in Netherlands as well. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I was born and raised in Washington D.C. Um, and yeah, lived there till I was about till I was eighteen. Uh, and then went to college just outside of Chicago in Evanston, um, which is like the it's one of those things where it's like it's still close enough to Chicago to be on the L. So <laughs> there's definitely a lot of people who still refer to it as Chicago, even though it's like technically a separate city. Um, and then uh, I actually went to school for uh, radio, television and film production. So after mm. college, I moved out to L.A. for about eight years Um I really enjoyed my first few things there. And then uh, after a while, it was just kind of beating me down. And I realized mm-hmm. I was much more interested in what my phone was doing than what, you know, <laughs> you know, oh, I, you know, do you want to write a, a pilot? Do you want to do a YouTube video? I was like, no, mm-hmm. I want to try to take my phone apart. Um, <laughs> so I wound up doing a program through uh, UCLA Extension. Uh, which is basically like the thing it's targeted more towards people who have like a full-time job, but because I did not at the time, I did what's usually like a two to three year program in about six months. (laughs) Um, And uh, yeah, that was a lot. That might've been, (laughs) that that's definitely something where I'm like, wow, I was younger then. Um, (laughs) Did you set yourself the deadline of six months or did you, did you have to? Yeah, because it was, it was, I said it for myself, but it was mostly because there was a point where I was like, all right, like, I have X amount of money 
to live for the next <laughs> Y amount of time. Um, <laughs> six six months is about where I need to be at a point where I can actually like do something correctly um, mm -hmm. and start like putting stuff in the app store. And that's that's about where where it was. And like I'm I'm really lucky that I was able to to take that time like and do it full time. Like I know not everybody is able to do mm -hmm. that. And it's, it's definitely something where like that did help contribute to the speed of that transition, but mm. it's, it's yeah, it's, it can be really hard if you're trying to do that while you have like an actual full-time job. <laughs> um, mm. yeah. And then, so after that, um, I moved to San Francisco for like three months to look for a job and the job mm -hmm. I found was in Chicago. So I moved back to Chicago. <laughs> um, so I lived in Chicago from 2011 until 2017. Um, mm -hmm. I worked for a couple of different agencies and then I also worked for Spot Hero, which is like a parking application. Mm -hmm. uh, okay. And then um, I had met my wife uh, in Chicago. She was at uh, uh, University of Chicago as a postdoc. Mm -hmm. And uh uh, one day we'd already moved in together and she was like, Hey hon. Um, so I've been offered a postdoc in the Netherlands. Do you want to move to the <laughs> Netherlands for a couple of years? And I was like, yes. And she was like, I haven't told you where. And, she, and I was like, no, I have absolutely no follow-up questions whatsoever. Um, so yeah. Um, the, the one thing that sucked was that I wasn't able to keep, uh, going at, at spot hero just cause it was a little bit harder to do sort of cross-border stuff, especially yeah. with yeah. a company that yeah. at the time was only really in North America. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. And yeah. And then, um, so when I was in the Netherlands, I wound up working for another agency called Bakkenebeck, um, which is, yeah, like they're headquartered in Oslo. So I got to go to Norway a bunch, which was really weird. Um, <laughs> it was really fun. There was one time I was there uh, and it was, you know, it was like 27, 28, maybe like five degrees below Celsius. Mm -hmm. And, um, my, my Norwegian colleagues were like, Oh, does this make you feel like you're back in Chicago? And <laughs> this was at a point where there was a polar vortex that was hitting Chicago. And so the current temperature, so I pulled out my phone and I was like, let's see what it's doing in Chicago. And I kind of knew that this was going to be bad. And yeah. it was like, Oh no, it's, it's 35 below Celsius, which is like negative 40 is where Celsius yeah. and, and yeah. Fahrenheit come yeah. back together. Yeah. Like once you get below like negative twenty in either one, you're like, no, yeah. absolutely not. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. It's probably also rare for Norwegians to be showed off with even colder weather than where they are. Yeah. yeah, yeah. They they were just like when a bunch of Norwegians were like, Oh my god, how do you live there? It, it was definitely one of those things where I was like, Okay, yeah. And like normally it's not that cold in, in Chicago during the winter. I was just like, about to was... try to to figure out how do we get this in, back into people wanting to go to deep dish. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it is. It is definitely not going to be that cold in uh, late April, early May. Like it's it's it can it can be a little chilly, like bring a jacket for sure. But like uh, not, you know, you don't need to bring like your Arctic ex expedition gear. Yeah. Um, but yeah, like it's yeah, that was pretty funny. Um, hmm. And then, yeah, so uh, my wife got another fellowship uh, at the university of wisconsin which is great because like mm -hmm. her mom and her sister both live here so her sister is actually mm -hmm. a professor at the university here um oh, cool. in a completely different field and um yeah so we moved we moved here to madison wisconsin uh in 2019 um which was really great timing to move someplace like <laughs> right before yeah. a major global pandemic because I, I remember mm -hmm. like we had like around like it was sometime around like president's day of, of 2020. We finally had mm -hmm. our like housewarming party because we finally got enough stuff out of boxes to actually have oh. people over. 
And it was like, hey, we're starting to make some friends. This is cool. And then it was like, <laughs> boom. And now you will see literally no one for 18 uh, months. I was just yeah. like, cool. That's yeah. awesome. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. We moved to Vancouver 2018. So we had a little bit more okay, of uh, yeah. room, but we were thinking, Good thing. The good thing about being in Vancouver uh, compared to Australia is that we're going to be close and more local to like a lot of tech conferences. It's both conferences in the US and conferences in Europe. We're like, okay, this is a pretty good hub to be. Was in. one of the main reasons like, that we left Australia and moved to Canada. Yeah. So that didn't work out like, so well. <laughs> yeah, I was going to say. I believe the correct term for that is. Wah, 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 wah. <laughs> um, yeah, that's well, at least yeah, nice that must be very frustrating. <laughs> Yeah, well, it's, did, uh, it's it's a hell of a lot warmer there than it is here, so, yeah. How, how did you and, like your time uh, in the Netherlands? I loved it. I, I really, you know, I'm a big biker, so mm-hmm. the fact mm-hmm. that, like, we did not own a car the whole time we were there. It was yeah. great. Um, yeah. You know, yeah. and, like, um, Nijmegen is a really cute little city. Like, it's, it's I think it's, like, the 10th biggest city in the Netherlands, but it's still only, like, 130,000 people. <laughs> so, um, yeah, it's really, like... You know, and it was really interesting because I actually got to pick up some Dutch um, Mm -hmm. when Mm -hmm. I was there because it was just, you know, in in Amsterdam, you have people who there like so many people there speak English. There's Mm -hmm. a large number of people Mm -hmm. there that don't speak any Dutch, Um, like Mm -hmm. even in terms of like the the people who work at like, um, you know, uh, restaurants and stuff like that. So, yeah, we don't, you know. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we, we, you know, you go into a restaurant there and you try to, like, say something in Dutch and they're like, oh, no, that's cool. You can speak English. <laughs> and in Nijmegen, when you go into a store and you're, you're like, um, have you days a trou in a groter mat? They'll be like, no, that's cool. And then, like, eventually... You get to a point where you're 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 like okay, um, sorry, uh, sprechje angles, and they're like, oh yeah, I used to live in New York for five years, and you're like, oh my gosh, <laughs> been falling on my face for like twenty minutes. But it's it, you know, it's the it's really the reason that I learned any Dutch whatsoever. Like yeah. I know yeah. I had several colleagues who who lived in Amsterdam for far longer than I lived in Nijmegen mm. and still didn't speak mm. any Dutch. So how would you rate your Dutch now? Uh, to select uh not too bad (laughs) um it's 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 definitely something where it's gotten rustier just because like with any language the less you speak it the the heart you just sort of uh uh i mean even in even in english sometimes i have trouble like finding a word (laughs) but uh you know it's it's something where um i feel like when i'm there it's much easier for me to get back into into Dutch just because it's like everywhere, and then when it's just somebody putting me on the spot and be like, "Oh, what did you?" I'm like, <laughs> yeah. "Oh shit." Um, yeah. So yeah, I don't know. I, f- I feel like I'm I feel like I'm pretty okay at it. Yeah, I always struggle with that. It's often because I'm German, living living not in Germany now. It's often that I have friends. It's like, here's a German person. Uh, you should talk German to them. I was like, I can't do that on command. <laughs> it, it takes <laughs> me some mental mental time to 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 switch contacts. I, yeah, I've met so many people that didn't believe initially that I was German because I couldn't. I, I just can't switch like that. I don't know what. German yeah. outside of German. It's definitely something where like switching back and forth between two different languages um, that you're trying to speak can be kind of a mind fuck. Just because, yeah. like, particularly if the 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 languages have really different structures, you're just like, wait a minute. I yeah. have to like get my brain yeah. to like catch yeah. back up and be in the correct yeah. structure before it's like, okay, cool, let's yeah. keep going. But for me, even the the opposite happened when we, we visited family recently, and we went to a coffee shop in Berlin. It's 
pretty common mm-hmm. too that there are people that don't speak uh, don't speak German. Yeah, yeah. So mm-hmm. I started speaking German to them. They said that they needed to speak English to me, and then I couldn't switch back oh, to English. I was like, this no. is so bad. <laughs> I can barely speak German, and now I can't speak English. <laughs> yeah, that's I, I, I've definitely seen that a bunch of times. My fa- my favorite story on that is is my wife once had an interview. Uh, in I think it was Toronto, it was somewhere in Canada. But um, mm-hmm. she was talking to a guy who was Dutch, but had lived in Toronto for like twenty five mm-hmm. years. And he said uh, he'd been away from the Netherlands for so long that now every time he goes to a coffee shop in Amsterdam, they're like, "Oh, that's cool, man. You can speak English." And he's like, "God damn it, I was born here. <laughs> I was here my whole damn yeah. life." And then it's like, "Oh, wait a minute. No, I haven't." <laughs> mm. uh, um, so we, we were talking about, uh, you mentioned that you were getting into programming through the... Um, Thanks for keeping us on track, Marlon. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. uh, I tried to UCLA. warn you guys, I'm really bad about tangents. <laughs> Did you know already when you started learning programming through a program that you wanted to get into mobile specifically? Yeah, I like I was really fascinated by mobile stuff like you know prior to prior to doing um any of that i had sort of like the most amount of programming that i'd done is like i kind of tried to do a thing with wordpress and it didn't completely explode um (laughs) but like it's definitely like i didn't really do any what i consider like hardcore programming until uh like 2010 and so it it was something where the iphone was already out um the iPad I think was was just coming out and mm. it was mm-hmm. it was something where I just like I could really see like the power of mm-hmm. what these devices could do and mm-hmm. um you know even just from like a straight up SMS standpoint like I know that like one of the sort of big stories about it is like yeah there's like farmers in the middle of nowhere um in like Africa or Asia where like normally what they have to do is they load up their cart they walk mm-hmm. it like six or seven miles and then they get to the the market and hopefully mm-hmm. everything is selling for a, yeah. for a price that is worth all of that work and you know for them to just be able to text somebody and say how you know hey how much mm-hmm. are, how, how much are cassava mm-hmm. selling for today mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. you know find out is it actually worth it for me to drag myself and all of this mm-hmm. stuff six miles yeah. yeah uh you know like that's life-changing for people mm-hmm. like that's you know and, and like thinking what you could do just with like that small amount of data like then Mm -hmm. sort of thinking realizing like the other thing that i realized was that there was like multiples more ram in like the treo phone that i had (laughs) than there was in the spaceship that landed on the moon and i was just like you know what i think these things are going to keep getting more powerful (laughs) and like there's going to be stuff that that you're going to be able to do that it's that's going to be like really helpful and really interesting and you know some of you know some of it's come you know been been things i didn't even expect and some of it's been uh very strange but it's definitely something Mm -hmm. where um that was what excited me about mobile programming Mm -hmm. like it was definitely something where it was just like this seems like a sea change that i kind of want to be a part of yeah how do you feel about the potential of like an upcoming apple vr AR headset. Is that something that's intriguing? I, it's definitely intriguing. Um, I'm old enough to remember Google Glass um, <laughs> and no, remember, you know, I one of the one of the people I knew really well in Chicago was a guy who like he made a bunch of glass apps and like a really useful one mm-hmm. where it was just like you said he said okay Google find transit and it would like bring up like okay if you walk this way you get this bus if you walk mm-hmm. that way you get that bus and that's how you can get home. 
And it was just like, okay, like that seems like a really useful thing. But it's something where like you cannot wear that thing around and mm-hmm. not get made fun of. Like it is <laughs> it is it, it was really big, it was really clunky. And obviously Apple's gonna be doing something different than that, partly because it's been mm-hmm. over a decade since that that thing mm-hmm. happened, and partly because Apple would never let anything that ugly anywhere near out of the building. But um <laughs> You know, it. I think a lot of the same challenges in terms of like, how do you get people to just wear something on their face all the time? Mm-hmm. That's something that is, uh, you know, because because I'm talking more about the. So there are some. There are two different products that I've heard people talking mm-hmm. about. The first is sort of what they call like a mixed reality headset. So it's basically mm-hmm. like AR, um, and this one would look more like glasses. Um, whereas the the other headset that I've heard about is is one where it would be more VR. So mm-hmm. more kind of like yeah. the the Oculus yeah. Quest, where mm-hmm. it's just yeah. like here is here is a big black box you strap to your face. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, if it's Apple, it'll be aluminium. But um, yep. it's you know it, it's. It's definitely something where, um, to me, I see so much more potential in the AR stuff, but also mm-hmm. so much more potential to fall flat on your face. Because if you do not absolutely positively nail that, mm-hmm. um, A, people are going to look like morons. Um, and then B, um, it's something where people become kind of afraid of you when you're wearing that. Mm-hmm. Um, because mm-hmm. they're like, oh my God, are you recording me? Like, what the hell? And it's just mm-hmm. sort of something where, like, you know, I, I think that can be really, that can be a really big barrier to adoption. Mm-hmm. But also, if you remember the early days of Apple Watch or AirPods, even, right? It's, I was self conscious. I, I was never oh, wearing yeah. a watch. Now I'm wearing a watch. <laughs> or when I had mm-hmm. those was... white sticks hanging out of my ears in the early days, and I was, because we, we got them on day one, it was like, this kind of right. looks funny. And if you have something on your face that's orders of magnitude a higher of a barrier to yeah, overcome, yeah, for sure. Yeah, I think yeah. you need to have such a like the benefit really have to outweigh the like yeah, especially for people who don't wear glasses normally. Like yeah. it really has to have some extra things on top of it. Right. Um, but I do and then think, for people who I do, do wear glasses. Yeah. yeah, and then for people who do wear glasses, then you have to deal with like, hey, how do we correct for literally everyone's <laughs> eye problems? Yeah, yeah, because um, yeah. yeah, that's that's a challenge. Um, yeah, yeah, like, but but I do feel like VR is a natural progression. I think if people can under, yeah, I think many people who I talk to about VR, they don't really, f- f- they don't they don't understand how ex- how special it is until they wear a ar headset uh, until they wear a VR, vr headset once they try oculus and they try some experiences or games then they really notice like wow this is such a different type of interface and different type of world that i can be immersed with i think if you get people on board with that then i think it will be a little bit less of a barrier to take that next step yeah and i think there's it's definitely something where like i have uh, tried an Oculus and it was like, it was really interesting to sort of like mess around with it. Um, I did in fact run into two tables while I was doing it. Um, <laughs> but you know, it's definitely one of those things where, uh, given the, the appropriately padded room for it, it, it seems like it's really, uh, you know, it can be really, really cool. And I think it's something that like, I'm not really a gamer and that is the vast majority of application yeah. that I see for Oculus. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. you know, it's like, you're not going to want to like you know, have your to-do list in, in 3D space and just check it off with like your hands. Like maybe you do, I don't know, but like, yeah, maybe I'm, too, maybe I'm just too old to envision such a, such a, such a world, but like, yeah, that, 
you know, I, I think that, it's really that exciting. That sounds for- stressful to have your to-do list always floating in front of you. <laughs> yeah, hard pass on that one. Um, yeah, it, it, so it's definitely something where, like, as someone who's not as into games, it does sound really interesting, but it doesn't sort of pique my interest the way that a more AR thing would. Mm. But also, like, the AR stuff is way higher risk, way higher reward. So, mm. yeah. Mm. Yeah. Um, we talked. Um, we know that you're you're working with iOS, but you're also giving a lot of talks yes. about iOS and a lot of public speaking. I I heard what I think you talk, you mentioned in one of your talks that before the pandemic you gave one talk every month for five years or something. Yeah, that was it. it like it averaged out to that. Um, yeah. So it wasn't yep. like literally like on on the fifteenth of every month I get up and go <laughs> talk to people whether they want me there yeah. or not. It's you know it's it's. <laughs> Obviously, like there's a couple of there's a couple of places and some of it has to do with like if this conference and this conference are both in in Europe and mm-hmm. I'm uh, going to already be there, then it's something where it's like, oh, I can help them by like, you know, having the two conferences split the cost of my plane ticket. And yeah, then yeah, yeah. I am able to uh, a like not have to fly back and forth across the Atlantic twice, um, <laughs> which yeah. is devoutly to be desired. Um, and then also, you know, really. um you know, most iOS conferences are are really sort of run by the community or mm-hmm. by smaller businesses within the community. And mm-hmm. it's definitely something where it's just like, yeah, like if you can basically save people like a thousand dollars. So, yeah. Um, yeah. So, it would, you know, it would be something where I wouldn't do anything for several months and then I would have a month where I had like two or three things. Yeah. So like, yeah, I, haven't, yeah. I haven't done anything since the beginning of the year, but then I have deep dish swift. So that's going to be fun. So how do you, um, how do you like... Well, actually, before getting into how to how you're preparing your talks, I was curious how you got into public speaking and what made you decide that you want to um, yeah share things with community like that. Yeah, um, so I'm a ham and I like being on stage, um, <laughs> and you know it was something where um, I had gone to. There's a smaller conference um, that used to exist called CocoConf. And mm-hmm. it, it was sort of a small traveling conference. It was uh, run uh, by the Klein family, who uh, had a very large number of children, uh, which uh, allowed them to have a lot of free labor. Um, and, uh, <laughs> you know, it was definitely something where, um, like, the Kleins were, like, super, super nice. And um, they also, like, really enjoyed having these sort of conferences that um, had a lot of different tracks. Mm-hmm. And so it was something where... Um, I think my second CocoConf uh, in Chicago, I went up to them and I said, hey, like if I wanted to speak, like what what should I do? Because um, I sort of started doing some speaking like locally in Chicago. Um, and they were like, yeah, just like tell us what you want to talk about. And, you know, we'll we'll let you know if we're looking for, for somebody mm-hmm. new. Mm-hmm. And eventually they did. Um, and I think my first one was in Boston, I want to say. But yeah, it was, you know, it was fun. I spoke at, I spoke at Coco Confs in Boston, Austin, Atlanta, Chicago a bunch of times. Um, and then I think one other one, but I, I don't remember. Um, and then from starting to do that and being like, oh, this is fun. This is really, mm. really fun. Um, you know, it was, it's definitely something where I started, you know, responding to more CFPs and, mm-hmm. and you know, trying to, mm-hmm. trying to get my name out there a little bit. Um, I think the the big thing that was like kind of my big break was I I managed to get in through the CFP at UIConf in mm-hmm. 2016. Um, mm-hmm. So I I did a talk uh, about um, 
it's called Outside In, and it's about sort of using UI tests as sort of a scaffolding uh, so that you can make sure you're not breaking anything for the user while mm-hmm. you sort mm-hmm. of knock the rest of your app down in the background. <laughs> um, <laughs> and yeah, like that one, that's still that's still a technique I really like using. Um, mm-hmm. And it's still, yeah, it's, it's, it's definitely like that one, once that one like was actually out there, and I think a big thing for that one was that it was on video, so I could like prove mm-hmm. that like i'm actually mm-hmm. like a halfway engaging speaker and like yeah. <laughs> that i um you know the, that you know if if something comes up i'm i'm ready to do it i think the other thing mm-hmm. is just that like i did a lot of speaking in chicago just locally um part of it was because i started an android meetup and so mm-hmm. as the founder of the meetup you become the speaker of last resort <laughs> uh, that's probably just have a coffee coffee meetup so we just sit down and talk instead yeah that's that's probably a better idea but uh, <laughs> yeah i wanted to you know i i, I really enjoyed coco heads and there's another meetup called ns coder which is finally coming back mm-hmm. next week i'm really excited i'm actually no, going awesome. down to chicago for it so um yeah. and then um yeah, like I, I really enjoyed doing that. And I really wanted there to be something similar for Android because the, there was like a big mm-hmm. Google developer group, but it was like all of Google. So it was mm-hmm. it, it, mm-hmm. like it wasn't very Android specific. So I started this this yeah. meetup and then like I'd say six or seven times I had to pull presentations um, out, of, <laughs> out of places where the sun does not shine. Uh, <laughs> On a fair, on fairly short notice, either because mm-hmm. I wasn't able to find a uh, second or third speaker, or whoever I had found uh, had to bail at the last minute. Okay. So, yeah. uh, you know, it's definitely something where um, having a bunch of practice at just sort of like, okay, well, I guess I'm talking about this now. Um, <laughs> you know, it it also helped that like it was a smaller audience, it was smaller stakes. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so I could get sort of all of my all of my fucking up out of the way in front <laughs> of a much smaller audience. And I really feel like I was able to sort of put together a, a style of speaking when I started doing that, that by the time mm. that I was putting putting in CFPs and stuff, like I was able to to feel like I had a much stronger voice than mm. I think I would have if I just sort of mm-hmm. was just like, I don't know, I guess I'll try this. So, <laughs> yeah. So how do you prepare now for for talks? Wait, you're supposed to prepare? Um, <laughs> no, I, you know, it, it depends a little bit on on what I'm talking about. Um, it partly depends on whether what I'm talking about is something that's related to what I'm doing at work mm-hmm. or whether it is mm-hmm. something completely different, like what I'm doing for uh, this conference. Um, so uh, the first thing that uh, I usually do is I put together sort of a sample app just to sort of like get stuff together and sort of be like, oh, right, this thing. Um, and, you know, like hit all of those sort of obnoxious, um, pieces of whatever the thing is that you run into as you're building it. Um, Mm -hmm. and you know, I have, um, I usually keep like a markdown, um, document where I have like an outline and I can take Mm -hmm. some notes in it. And then I use, um, Dexet, which converts, Mm -hmm. um, markdown documents into slides and mm-hmm. I actually really like it because it keeps me from just procrastinating endlessly with the slides. Um, <laughs> and yeah, it's and I, I think it also sort of really encourages like make your text as big as possible um, and make things 
you know, like not a ton of things on the same slide. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think that's, you know, it's definitely something where it's like, oh, wow, I have like 250 slides for this talk and it's not that long. <laughs> um, yeah. But it's definitely something where I feel like it's really helpful for me in terms of thinking about stuff. It also means like moving sections around is really easy. Mm-hmm. Um, so mm-hmm. if you sort of realize like, oh, this doesn't make any sense here. Okay, cool. Mm-hmm. Um <laughs> the other thing is that I I also will pull together a script because okay. uh, I, you know, I don't know a ton of people who super tightly script their uh, their stuff. Mm-hmm. I do. And it's partly because mm-hmm. uh, I have to hit punchlines correctly. Yeah. Um, but mm-hmm. it's it's also partly because um, when I first started t- t- speaking, you know, I would do sort of the like, oh, OK, here's like a few bullet points about what I want to say. And what would happen is I would get so excited about what I was talking about is that I would get (laughs) sidetracked. And then I would wind up talking about something that I was going to talk about, like at the end of the talk. And (laughs) it just wasn't working. Like it was just something where I would get to that part at the end of the talk and be like, Oh, Oh, right. I already talked about this. (laughs) And you know, it just, that was one of the things that I think I learned as I was going through um, all the stuff at, uh, you know, prior to really becoming a bigger speaker, uh, just because it allowed me to, you know, it allowed me to figure out like, just because like, there's a lot of advice out there that's like, don't script your talk. That's death. Yeah. Cause like many people, when their talk is scripted, will talk like this because they are reading and want to be understood clearly. And I'm like, no, 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 no. This is, this is a performance piece. This is, this is, you are basically doing like a 45 minute monologue. Yeah. And this is where um, all your LA experience comes in. Oh, clearly. Yeah. Um, <laughs> and you know, it's, it's definitely something where, um, I think for me, like having the ability to sort of, it also helps me make sure that like, I don't forget anything. Um, my, mm-hmm. I, I will just say my memory is garbage, uh, and, <laughs> and without garbage collection. So, um, <laughs> it's, it's definitely something where, um, you know, for me, I need that script. Like mm-hmm. it's definitely something where mm-hmm. I am fully capable of talking, uh, as you can see for long <laughs> periods of time, um, without a script, but it's something where if I'm doing it in a talk, I want it to have a flow. I want it to have, mm-hmm. um, you know, just sort of ways of, of, of moving together that I don't think for me personally is really possible without a script. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, and that's something like, I know some people who are like, Oh no, I can't do a script. Like all I have is like two bullet points and then I will talk for 45 minutes. And I'm like, mm-hmm. good for you, man. I can't do that. <laughs> I think that is what's it's so interesting about like it's it's sort of it's both related to the way we give talks but also related to the way we're learning everyone just yeah. has very different ways of remembering and coming up with what they want to talk about and like it's yeah. everyone has their own process and I don't think like there you can't really follow like if if you would would have followed the advice that you should never write things down then that wouldn't yeah. have been yeah. like, a great technique for you whilst I know that if I write down a script uh, I'm gonna like I'm gonna struggle seeing my screen, and I like because yeah. I I don't have like perfect vision, and I sometimes wanna like I feel like I often get too like up in it, and I really try yeah, to yeah. read it, and then I'm like, oh, now people notice that I'm reading it, so yeah. I sort of threw that away. <laughs> and I like um, procrastinating, building magic moves. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's. I mean, there was one point where so I had already mostly been using. Um, uh, deck set and um, I was speaking at RW DevCon which it was uh, back in mm-hmm. the day uh, conference that Ray Wenderlich ran and mm-hmm. 
they were like, okay, we want everybody to use uh, this particular uh, 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 keynote template, and we don't want you to use your own style of stuff. And I was mm. like, just so you know, this is going to have the most gratuitous transitions I can possibly <laughs> find. And it did. Um, so, yeah, it was, it's definitely one of those things where, like, uh, uh, it's good to know what are the things that distract you um, mm-hmm. and just be like, oh, I'll put that over here. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we, we did. Marlon and I gave a talk together uh, where we talked a bit about because me being German, Marlon being Swedish, we kind of moved all over the world a little bit. So we yeah. put way too much effort into a magic move. You put- you, you I, did. I want to give you some credit, but I guess I, I'll take it. <laughs> no, you, you put a lot of work into this. And it, it was, was cool. this world map and this airplane that would kind of fly between places. And then oh, nice. do like a U-turn because we kind of moved moved around a lot. So that was fun. Yeah. And it was actually, gonna... I was so so happy with that one that I actually used it as a safety net. Even if the talk doesn't work out, that that was a fun piece that people hopefully remember. Yeah. <laughs> I may I may have to borrow that soon. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, what what would you say is your favorite part about giving a talk? Is it about the presentation itself or is it about the preparation before it? Um, I mean, for me personally, it's definitely the presentation itself. Like, like I said, I'm a huge ham. So uh, I really, you know, I get so much out of the audience response. Like, it's really, really mm-hmm. fun to see people picking up on stuff and, and, and people sort of, you know, especially when I get a bunch of really good questions at the end of it, um, mm-hmm. especially ones mm-hmm. where it's like stump the stump the the presenter. Uh, I'm like, ooh, that's a good question. I have to get back yeah. to you. <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, it's definitely one of those things where like I feel like I learn stuff a lot more thoroughly when I'm going to be presenting about it mm-hmm. because you mm-hmm. have to yeah. really sort of understand a lot of stuff to figure out not just what to put into a talk, but what to take out because. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, almost any of these topics, like I know I was talking to uh, Rob Napier and he w- he had to talk about Codable and he said, yeah, I, ch- I did my first run of this and it was an hour and a half long. And I was like, Codable? <laughs> and the answer is yes. Um, so it's it's definitely yeah. one of those things where if you get deep enough down any yeah. rabbit hole, like you can talk yeah. approximately forever. And, (laughs) uh, you know, it's, it's something where working on something and deciding like, okay, these are, these are the parts that are actually like important for people who are getting started with this. These are the things where I'm like, God, I wish I knew that before. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and you know, just, just sort of stuff where, where, um, you know, that like that, I think makes a lot of it sink in a lot better, um, in terms Mm -hmm. of learning. So it's something that like, I really enjoy that process. Um, uh, as well, but it's for me, like in terms of just like, what do I enjoy doing? Getting up in front of a bunch of people and being a moron. Like it's really <laughs> like, it's just so much fun. Um, and you know, I, I, uh, you know, it's, it's, it was hard for me during the pandemic. Like I'm a huge, huge extrovert and, mm. uh, mm-hmm. yeah, it turns out like virtual conferences were better than nothing. Mm-hmm. They were yeah. not ideal. Yeah. Um, it it definitely was something where and like, you know, there's a lot of pros to virtual conferences um, just in terms of like equity, where like people who have like a lot of childcare responsibilities are able to actually mm-hmm. like participate in a conference in a way that is either impossible or really expensive for them if uh, mm-hmm. a conference is not available virtually. Mm-hmm. But it is something where for me personally, like a huge piece of why I like conferences is the people. Mm. You know, um, I love meeting new people. I love talking to new people. I love talking people's ears off, as you can tell. Um, and, you know, like 
that was something that I really, really missed. Mm. And like, I was joking, um, you know, the, the time that I knew I had to go get a, a co-working space was uh, when the cats turned to me and said, what are you still doing here? And I was like, <laughs> the cats are talking to me. That's not a good sign. So. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, but there's also so many parts to to speaking at a conference in person or any yeah. any in person event where you get some feedback as you speak, right? You see some people, yeah. you see some reactions. Maybe people laugh if you say something funny. Yeah, Your, the camera that you use to record yourself is probably not going to laugh, and if it is, it's a, it's a cat situation again where you should yeah, probably yeah, go say, out it's some more. Laughing at you, you may wish to talk to someone about that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so speaking of that, uh, mm-hmm. what are you going to talk about at Deep Dish? So I am. So I ha- I, I I changed my talk uh, a little bit. I was originally going to do uh, the five dumbest things I did uh, implementing a new app in Swift UI. Uh, unfortunately, <laughs> I got laid off before I finished that app. So uh, I'm like, oh crap! I only have like two really dumb things I did. Uh, so I decided to uh, I decided to switch to. Um, uh, GraphQL and uh, server-side Swift, a match made in heaven or hell. Uh, <laughs> and so um, I, I have sort of like a larger sample app that I'm going to be putting together. Mm-hmm. And so I wanted mm-hmm. to build a server component of it. Right? You know, as someone who used to work at Apollo GraphQL, I really like GraphQL. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it was something where I was like, oh man, do I have to use Rust for this? And then, and then um, I was kind of looking around and there is like a fairly decent... Um, uh, uh, server-side Swift um, mm-hmm. uh, library that allows you to build um, basically like um, uh, code-driven schemas. So it's mm-hmm. it's definitely something where uh, that was exciting. And uh, so I, you know, when when you talk about like preparation, it's like, so how when how long have you been preparing for this? And I'm like, super long time, definitely. <laughs> have definitely already started doing what I need to do. Um, but yeah, it's, you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. Uh, so it, I mean, I'm really excited about building this thing. So like, that's, that's, that's always a good motivator. It's like when you have yeah. something that you're really excited about, like that really sort of gets you past the pieces where you're just like, Oh my God, why doesn't this work? <laughs> so yeah. Uh, how do you like uh, vapor? I like Vapor. Um, it's definitely like I really like how it uh, interacts with Fluent, um, mm-hmm. just so that you can mm-hmm. you can have a really wide array of databases that you you mm-hmm. can use, mm-hmm. um, and you can use the one that sort of works best for you um, mm-hmm. without you know you know and and if it's a situation where it's just like uh, I I guess SQLite like that's mm-hmm. fine, uh, yeah. but if it's mm-hmm. something where it's like I need a Cassandra database backed by three hundred thousand instances, yeah. it's like yeah that's cool too. Yeah. Um, so it you know that level of flexibility is is really really nice. Hmm. Um, sorry, I'm just looking at the notes because I think we gone through everything. Now we're yeah we should be at rapid fire. Okay, questions. Yeah. Okay. We always try to we always clarify that it's rapid fire questions, not answers. You can. <laughs> I mean, I go, talk go pretty quickly, here. so. Yeah. <laughs> um, so the first question is, uh, what is your favorite iOS app? Um, so right now it is Carrot Weather. Um, mm-hmm. it, it is an app after my own heart in that uh, it 
uh, says extremely uh, questionable things. Uh, anytime you look at the <laughs> forecast, um, I definitely like you can you can select like how questionable you would like it to be. It's like yeah. oh family yeah. friendly, and I'm I'm like I'm like like turbo no. evil. I think is the one that I have it on. Um, but yeah, I love it. Like and and you know Brian, the guy who's been working on that for ages. Um, you know he's really gotten some really interesting and cool stuff happening with how uh, the app is put together and, and, you know, just, just really like sort of building a whole world around the, this Mm -hmm. sort of character. Mm -hmm. Um, And I, you know, it's just something where it's like, yeah. And then he also has clearly like found his niche where it's like, there are some people who are really into weather and are willing to, you know, pay you a fairly hefty monthly sum uh, to be able to access some of these like really like, super frequently updating radar and then like Mm -hmm. all these other things. And, you know, like you don't have to do that if you don't want to, like the, I think the, the sort of smallest uh, thing is like, I don't know, 10, 12 bucks a year. Um, But you know, if you want to give them 30 bucks a month and get all kinds of bells and whistle, (laughs) you can. Um, And yeah, it's like, it's a really interesting business and it's a really, like a really, really well-made app. So Mm. yeah, that's my favorite one right now. Mm. And it's also really cool because there's so many customization options. Yeah, he's it's but it's nuts. Like he's he's really I think I think he he really, you know, one of the things about anything that's like a weather app or a to-do app is that like mm-hmm. everyone has the like really specific way that they mm-hmm. want it yeah. set up. And yeah. I think one of the things that Brian realized is like if I try to build this for everyone, it's never going to work. I'm going to let people mm-hmm. build their own thing. And mm-hmm. yeah, that worked out better. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Uh, so what about Mac app? What's your favorite Mac app? Ah, Mac app. This was an older one. Um, there was an app that was called Delicious Library. Mm-hmm. Um, and what oh, I never it, heard of it. This is back back in the this is back in the two thousands when I had a lot of DVDs. Um, mm-hmm. and it was something that allowed you to like sort of you know scan scan each the the barcode, which at the time mm. I was like, this is magic. Um, and, uh, you know, really just sort of like organize all of, all of your stuff and figure out like what you had, where it was, all that kind of stuff. And it's, it's definitely something where like, there's a lot of stuff that's tried to sort of challenge that. But I think like one of the things that unfortunately made it somewhat obsolete is that like almost everything has moved to digital now. So it's like, where Mm -hmm. did I put it? I know. Let me look in the cloud. Um, but it like, from a standpoint of just like managing, like where physical stuff was, I, it was really awesome. And it was super, super well-made. Like that was, that was, that was one of the first backups that I really got excited about. Yeah. Um, I, I just check out their website. It's yeah. still, there's still a get it button. <laughs> yeah. I, will it work? I don't know. <laughs> um, but yeah, that's, I mean, that, that one's been around for ages. Um, mm. and then, Yeah. I think that's my my favorite Mac app. Oh, good answer. Uh, What is your favorite iPhone model ever made? Favorite iPhone model ever made? I actually uh, really like the 13 Pro that I have right now. Um, Mm -hmm. It's really sort of a good combination of like really solid features and really solid construction um, that I don't know that I can really think of a similar comparison. Um, I know people are super up to, uh, 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 excited about the 14 Pro, but I I just can justify it to myself this year. <laughs> uh, I'm sure next year I'll I'll be uh, frolicking around on a dynamic island somewhere, but um, <laughs> it, it's definitely something where like 
you know, I don't have a ton of like nostalgia for older iPhones. Um, mm-hmm. I think, I think it's something where, um, you know, there's, there's ones that were really good. And then there were ones that were not great, but I think, you know, I, obviously Apple's goal, uh, if you ask their marketing department is like, this is the best iPhone ever because it's <laughs> the newest iPhone ever. And, you know, there have definitely been some stuff where it's like things have gone forward and back and forward and back. But like for me personally, I really like the 13 Pro. Um, mm. I know I know a lot of people that are like, bring back the tiny SE. <laughs> I will I will give you a million dollars for a tiny phone. Just let me buy it. And yeah, like that's that's definitely a loud, loud contingent. But I kind of like having it bigger, especially as I get older and can't see anything. So, mm. yeah. Yeah. I I still found like I like the form fact. I, I like the I like the thirteen and the fourteen because they're just grippable again. Yes. Like the, from I think since between from ten six. and oh yeah. actually yeah you're right from six onwards it was all of them are very slippery because they were yeah. just so rounded so that's why I always come back like oh the ones before the six were really nice like the four yeah. S that was great um, but I've heard a bunch of people uh, have have said nice things about the three GS but man I dropped that thing all the damn time <laughs> like that I was like I was like what did they put on this is it just like covered in WD forty like what the hell so <laughs> that's how I felt about the six and six S those those yeah. were like bars of soap. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> um, all right. So, what is uh, going away from tech for a while? Um, what is your favorite food item? I think it shouldn't be tech related, but I mean, <laughs> <laughs> delicious, delicious chips. No, um, <laughs> no. I, you know, I think uh, <laughs> this is going to be a very odd answer, but uh, teriyaki steak. Um, okay, just like. Oh. Okay. really nicely done steak with a nice big pile of teriyaki sauce like that i don't know like i actually I do know why it's because when i was younger my parents would take me to benihana for like special special occasions and that's like a like a mm-hmm. hibachi steakhouse uh-huh. yeah okay. yep. it was just I, it was super fun i loved it so much and the i just loved the food there and there's this like very like little piece of nostalgia in the back of my brain that's like mm, teriyaki <laughs> sauce um <laughs> And yeah, like that's it's it's a weird answer, but yeah, that one. Mm, do you have a oh, favorite like Dutch it. Dutch dish? Oh, stroopwafelen. Yeah, I love stroopwafels. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah, it's definitely. Um, we also we still make um, stampot a lot, which is like basically like um, uh, sausages and cabbage and uh, mm-hmm. onions and stuff like that, which is like it's mm. definitely like a very good like it is winter. I need mm-hmm. to eat something. <laughs> I'm just going to throw all of this stuff in one pot and go away. Um, so yeah, it's definitely like, that's a, that's a good one for that. Um, and yeah, like my, my wife and I do a lot of cooking. Like she's, she's got a couple of dietary restrictions. Mm-hmm. And so we cook probably six nights a week. Um, okay. and yeah, it's definitely, it was seven during the pandemic. That was fun. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, like it's definitely, you know, it's definitely something where, um, one of the things that has amazed me is just sort of like, even if you have a fairly limited range of the ingredients that you can use, you can make a lot of really good stuff. Um, Mm. And, Mm. you know, so it's, it's definitely something where like, yeah, we, we, we eat a ridiculous amount of vegetables and by we, I mean, she, Um, (laughs) you know, like we, so us and her mom and sister are on the same um, farm share plan Mm-hmm. And she and I take one entire box and then 
her mom and her sister's family of four split the other place. <laughs> so like that, and that's like a far more normal thing in terms of like how much vegetables anybody ever wants <laughs> to actually consume. Yeah. Um, although it is, it is something where like every once in a while you'll be like, you'll be like, huh? Why do we have 35 uh, cucumbers in the fridge? <laughs> like, oh, right. Yeah. Yeah. So. yeah, Modern has some dietary requirements. And mm. I found that that actually made us more creative in our cooking. Because you, you can, you know, yeah, you have to figure out new things. And you usually can't just follow recipes as they are. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. So you, you have to figure out yeah. how to make it actually taste good, even if you can use a whole yeah. bunch of the stuff that makes it yeah, taste you good. Yeah, you can't just dump half a bottle of teriyaki sauce on it and be like, this is fine. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah. And it's uh, like, we've yeah. been lucky because like being, being in Wisconsin, like we're both meat eaters. There is a lot of good meat around here because <laughs> it turns out when you have lots and lots and lots of cows, there's also lots and lots and lots of hamburger. So, <laughs> yeah. Awesome. Um, so the last part of the rapid fire questions, um, there's the tr- two truths and a lie. Um, okay. where you will tell us three things. Two of them are true. One of them is a lie. And the, in uh, any the idea order. is that people, in any okay. order, and the idea is that people who are attending the conference will be able to go up and have this as an icebreaker and get started chatting with you. Okay. Uh, and and so, it is it's really our master plan to figure out who's the best liar at the conference, so we know who to to invite into our next scheme. <laughs> yeah, I was gonna say for for your next heist. Uh, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, so the three that I have prepared in advance are uh, okay. So uh, I have two cats. They are both named after musicians. Mm-hmm. Um. The next one that I have is uh, I speak at at least a conversational level four languages. Um, And the last one is that my first job when I was out in uh, Los Angeles was as an intern at the Ellen DeGeneres show right after they went on the air, (laughs) uh, which led to some extremely hilarious confusion uh, uh, with the writer's room. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, I like Uh, those. It's good. I like them. Yeah. Not bad. Awesome. Yeah. We we gotta go and talk to you about it. Uh, Oh, yeah. I have some guesses. Do you like deep dish pizza? I really like it. It's uh, I don't necessarily disagree with the people who are saying that like deep dish pizza and like a New York style pizza are kind of two different food groups. Um, <laughs> like deep dish pizza is essentially a cheese delivery system. Like it is uh, it's like I really, really enjoy it. Um, but it's definitely something that's like you can really only eat like maximum like two slices at a time just because it is. Super People rich. People keep on telling me this, and I feel like I gotta prove it, them it wrong. Is, it almost sounds like it's a challenge by now. People keep telling you two slices yeah. is all you can two ever eat. It's like I'm like, ah, oh, I'm sure I can eat the whole one. I'm, it depends on how big the pizza is. Because if you go to, um, so so there's there's this big battle between like Giordano's and Gino's East that are sort of the two big chains. And if you go to mm-hmm. Giordano's, you can get like a a pie that's like maybe like 12 inches, and then like they slice that into six six pieces, and those you can eat three pieces of. But like the ones where it's like like a sixteen inch pie that like a bunch of people are sharing, like no, that's not happening. Like that is that is just an absolutely immense amount of pizza, and like like your your heart will be like, uh, I'm sorry, what? <laughs> and, uh, and just like be like, nope, we're stopping here. Um, 
but yeah, and then there's there's another place. If if you I, are y'all going down there earlier, or, or are you uh, just coming we, in? Right we stay a few days longer. Yeah. Okay. If you go into the city, um, there is uh, a really, really, really good place that's out by DePaul, and it is called Pequods, um, and it is like. I don't know what it is that they do that makes it so good, but like that's absolutely my favorite one in Chicago. So, but their right. their lines are usually uh, not small. So uh, really. if you do plan to go there, I either uh, I, I recommend going like on a weekday at lunch um, mm-hmm. because like that's that's one where it's like oh yeah, it's like not that many people there. If you try to go like on a weekend in the evening, like you're gonna be in line for a while. So okay. and like. This is the other thing that people need to understand about deep dish pizza because it's so thick because it's just this like absolutely massive amount of mm-hmm. cheese and 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 bread. Uh, it takes it takes like forty five minutes to cook. So like you know like especially for people who have like one of the little like uni ovens where like you heat it up yeah, to fifteen hundred yeah, yeah. degrees and then you can cook mm-hmm. a whole pizza yeah. in like a minute. Um, no, this that this is not that. Yeah. <laughs> this is this the cheese really needs time to feel itself so, and like really mm, melt together. This might be a silly question, but how do you do if if you can only eat two slices? What do you do? Do you go to a pizza place and you say two slices, please, or do you always mm-hmm. buy a whole pie and then you bring it home? <laughs> uh, so yeah, leftovers are basically like like generally if I'm going out for like a Chicago style pizza, like I am expecting to bring leftovers home. Okay. Like that, that is, you know, and like it, like leftover Chicago style pizza, if you are drunk at two in the morning is like the greatest thing ever. Um, cause you're just like, you know, I need it's carbs and cheese and you're like, oh my God, carbs and cheese. Um, but yeah, like it's, it's definitely something where like, if I'm not, if I'm not expecting to take anything home, I'm usually going with like num- numerous people. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. because it's, it's, it's definitely, so, and like, I am not a small person when I tell you like, this is the, the, these, these slices are very large. <laughs> like I, I, I do know some people who are like, I can do one slice and that's about it. And then, and then like, yeah, the number of people who can, who can do like very large numbers of slices is not very large. Um, <laughs> I like that yeah, you like, split your friend group into, this is a one slice person, <laughs> it's a two slice person. So together as a group, we can go and get pizza now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's like, <laughs> Uh, there, there was uh, uh, one up in Evanston when I was in college, and and uh, they had like a they had like a Monday deal for like all the college students, mm-hmm. and so it's just like all right, like it's it's basically like all you can all you can eat, but you can't bring any with you um, <laughs> when you leave. So like if you if you order it and don't eat it, you have to pay for it. Yeah. <laughs> um, and so it was definitely one of those like careful balancings of like okay. How are we going to do this (laughs) appropriately? What's the scheme? All right. That was our last derailment. Uh, Yes. Uh, where can people find you online? Uh, mostly they can find me on Mastodon nowadays. Um, So Mm -hmm. I am mastodon.social slash at designated nerd. Um, and, uh, I still have the designated nerd handle on Twitter that I used for quite a long time. Um, I kind of rage quit Twitter when, uh, uh, they cut off the third party access with mm-hmm. no notice. Mm-hmm. That was, that was some yeah, bullshit. That, yeah, <laughs> so, that was. Uh, yeah. you know, and it's definitely something where, uh, I, I've liked Bastodon quite a bit, but I definitely understand why people are like, uh, do I have to? Mm. Um, and 
yeah, uh, I am also, uh, I have an Etsy shop. I do, uh, I, I have a laser cutter and I sell silly yeah, things. I had this as a bullet point. Yeah. I would say that ah. we never get it. Uh, yeah. Let's talk about it in person. You yeah. have some really cool stuff on your Etsy page. I really I, like I the measure, uh, measure twice, cut once being... <laughs> Yeah, and, being and like an eighth of an inch too too short. Yeah, yeah. that is so yeah. good. I had some I had some fun putting that one together. Um, yeah. and it's uh, yeah, I don't know. I I enjoy doing silly stuff like that, and you know, I there's a there's a there's a level at which like the number of people I know who are like I have been a developer for a really long time, and now I need to do something that actually is physical and doesn't just disappear whenever it's no longer needed. Uh, yeah. So it's just like people are into woodworking and, and oh, nice. Oh, do you guys have a laser yeah. cutter? Uh, we, we have a co-working space, clo- uh, not a co-working, a makerspace it's close a maker by space. that we oh, go to. Oh, nice. Cool. Mm. Yeah, but it's definitely something where like there's something really satisfying about making physical stuff. Um, yeah. That, yeah, like, so, like, woodworking, knitting, laser cutting, 3D printing, and then, like, yeah, like, people people are just like, okay, that scratches my itch to make something physical. Yeah. Now I'm going to go back to making software. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's also nice. Once once you made something physical, especially if it's out of wood or something, it is done. It is in a state that doesn't change. There's no user <laughs> that, that tries to scroll with four fingers and a nose, and for some reason it breaks something, and now you have to fix it. <laughs> Yep, I, I, yeah, I've had those users. They're fun. <laughs> awesome. Do you want to read us out, Kai? No, you do it. You're All better right. at, at reading. Well, I don't know. I can read. I swear. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why I said that. I never learned to read. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll do it honor. Uh, thank you so much again, Ellen, for joining us. Thank you. Uh, this was really fun, and I'm looking forward to meeting you again in person. Yeah. Thanks for listening to this episode of Slices. The Deep Dish Swift Conference is happening in Chicago from April the 30th to May 2nd. There are still tickets available and you can get all the links in the show notes. Um, and in the next episode, we'll be chatting with another amazing speaker. So looking forward to seeing everyone then. Thank you.